This is the Concealed Carry Podcast, episode number 245. And welcome to the Concealed Carry Podcast, part of the ConcealedCarry.com network. I am your host, Riley Bowman, and I'm joined today by Jacob. Jacob is the man who spent part of the weekend camping. Yeah, and Riley is the man who gets a new hat every day of the week. <laughs> yep, new hat today. Woohoo! <laughs> this one's cool. So it's a Vortex hat, and it's got a multicam sort of pattern to it. Do you have hats that aren't cool? Yes. Okay. And, and, and they go in the pile of shame, you know, hats that are shameful, and I, I need to probably go through and clean some out. <laughs> So, uh, welcome to today's episode, folks. Uh, we're happy to be here. Uh, I'm still sort of recovering physically. I can't believe how sore I still am. I, I competed in some three-gun over the weekend while you were relaxing and camping and barbecuing and whatever you were doing. I was, like, running fast and climbing things and shooting guns, which I think that sounds more like more fun to me, but although I do enjoy camping, too. <laughs> Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's all good, dude. You know, yeah. man's got balance. Yeah, man. So today we've got a whole bunch of crazy stories. We every every week's crazy, right? <laughs> that's sure. why you, you that's why you don't want everyone to miss an episode. Um, and we got some updates on the Aurora homeowner shooter shooter shooting. Yeah, well, he was a shooter, and then he wasn't. Sadly, uh, some. There was a press release, uh, a press conference last just a few days ago, and uh, some some things we want to update you on since we talked about that last week. And I do want to be following this one fairly closely, Jacob, because this was really important stuff. Um, I know a lot of our concealed carriers out there are concerned about this sort of situation, and I still want to reassure everybody that this sort of thing is is a rare occurrence. In fact, we have a story I think we're going to talk about. I think I might have cut it. I don't remember. If I did cut it, I will still mention it just so you kind of have some comparison. But uh, we got some legislative updates coming out of California as their legislator re- legislature reconvenes after the summer uh, recess. They've got a whole host of things on the docket that they are looking at uh, lo- legal-wise, you know, pa- look, pa- possibly passing some new laws. In addition to outlawing straws and everything else, uh, more gun control possibly coming in California. So we want to keep a close eye on that. And then also, we got a story of a shooter in Florida, a guy that opened fire in a crowd during a back-to-school event where a concealed carrier nearby was able to put him down. So we're pretty excited to see. I mean, we're not excited about those types of things happening, but definitely excited about concealed carriers, CCWers, you know, being in the right place at the right time and having their gun with them and being trained and all that and ready ready to act when when that moment comes. So... That's a really fascinating story. We'll talk about that as well in today's episode. So with that, today's episode is brought to you by <clears throat> and made possible by, we have a couple of safety-related products in the concealedcarry.com store that you might want to check out. Links are in the show notes, but we have a great set of electronic eye, or electronic eye, electronic ear protection and safety eyeglasses. It's a nice combo pack that's very affordable available in the store is that the allen one jacob yeah yeah it's the allen what axiom i think is the is the model number or model name it's i like it 
and then some people don't like this, but I like it because it has uh, volume adjusting on each side. So you can have one ear be louder than the other. It's kind of nice. And yep. uh, the, the, the glasses are the photon glasses. You can buy them separately in the store, but we have a not really nice priced combo pack. Yeah, it's a, it's a great deal for a combo. And the safety glasses I've I've worn before, I, I use at the range all the time, and they're pretty pretty decent safety glasses for shooting, especially. Uh, we also have a trauma kit. Now this one's this one is put together by NC Star. Okay, now NC Star is not exactly a name known for quality products, you know, all the time. But I'll tell you, this is one of the best deals you can find on a trauma kit, and everything that goes in that trauma kit comes from reputable, like, you know, big name brand companies that make these types of products. So a lot of what they stock in that trauma kit is H&H medical uh, uh, products. That's that's a big name in the industry. Uh, comes with a tourniquet, comes with compression bandages, all this other, you know, great stuff. Okay. Wound seals, etc. cetera. Um, but it's all packaged in an NC star little trauma kit uh, pouch. Very convenient, very compact sized. Um, Check it out. Really, really competitive price for a trauma kit. Normally, you can expect to pay $80, $90, $100 plus for a similar kit. And this one is, I think, right around $50. That's super, super, super reasonable. You can check that out. And also, body armor. And we have these soft panel inserts. Uh, basically, you know, an insert you can put in a backpack. Jacob's going to hold some up for us here on the camera. Those of you watching... Uh, so you can put these in a backpack of your kids' bags as they're going, you know, this is perfect for back to school. Uh, we're going to talk about a back to school event where things went south in a hurry. And uh, so this might be something you consider doing in your kids' backpacks. We're actually going to be testing a whole bunch of these here next week and uh, look for a report on those as far as like what performs the best. I suspect most are going to perform just fine, but then it comes down to size and weight, thickness, you know, you don't want to be taken and price up. and price. Yeah. Like what's the most economical and, and, and weighing all these different factors. So we've got ones from, uh, safe life armor, from citizen armor, from NC star, you know, all these common brands and competitors, and some are meant to be, you know, competitively priced and, uh, and some actually are, and some aren't. So anyway, check that out. You can, like I said, find the links for these different products in our show notes for today's episode. And show notes, uh, for those of you listening, if you want to make it real easy to find, concealedcarry.com forward slash episode 245. That'll be a short link that'll get you to today's episode show notes. So normally at this point, we would get to this week's case of the week from attorney Andrew Branca, Law of Self-Defense, but he is... Uh, been a little busy, so he's he's had to take a break from that. So, but he he's assured me we'll be back on track next week with case with, with more cases of the week, and I know he's got some really good stuff coming up. So stay tuned. Next week's episode will bring to you the uh, back. We'll bring back to you the case of the week. So we're looking forward to that. So, Jacob, I think it's time to get into some news stories. First yeah, let's one. go to Aurora, Colorado. Yeah. And this news story is from the Denver Post, and uh, which covers not only some of the details of this incident, but also has some things that I wanted to talk about and analyze somewhat. Uh, Denver Post is not always the greatest publication <laughs> I find uh, locally here where it comes to being pro-gun, Second Amendment, whatever. <clears throat> but this this article is titled "Aurora Police Shooting of Armed Home Armed Homeowner Raises Questions as to How Law Enforcement Reacts When Encountering Law Abiding Gun Owners." 
Okay, now that's a fair question to ask, right? And I definitely think that it's wise and, and should be implemented, if not already. Law enforcement agencies and departments should definitely be educating their officers as to how to interact with citizens that they might encounter that are armed, right? That just makes sense. That's good sure. practice, right? Now, we got this case, right? So here's here's the updates on the case, Jacob. Last week, they held a, the Aurora Police Department held a big-time press conference. It was like Thursday. And uh, they gave a little more detail as to what happened uh, a little more than a week ago now where you had – and for those that maybe missed it, basically the, the short story of it is you had a homeowner. And I love how like every story has to point out that it's a homeowner as if that like makes it somehow different, you know, like as opposed to an apartment dweller. <laughs> Seems very like – biased against apartment dwellers, but, uh, sure. I mean, <laughs> yeah. I mean, a man, right? right. Somebody in his, here's the point. You had a dude in his residence, right? That somebody broke in. And apparently that somebody was from like across the street or someplace and they were hopped up on drugs or something. They were, or they're mentally unstable. I, it doesn't matter. It was somebody with a, with a fairly long rap sheet of convictions. Okay. They broke into the home started physically assaulting, like violently, an 11-year-old boy. Dad also lives in the home of that boy. Grandpa also lives in the home. And it's the grandpa that grabbed a gun and shot and killed this intruder. Police arrived to the scene. They know that kind of somewhat what's going on. And in that press conference, we learned that they knew that there was an intruder. They knew that someone in the home was armed. And when they arrive on scene... They encounter the wife of the man that ultimately gets shot, the grandfather, outside in front of the home. She tells them as they are basically about to go into the home, he, he's got a gun. But she doesn't say, you know, it's my husband or, you know, that it's a good guy that's got the gun. She just says he, he's got a gun. So, like, that doesn't, that doesn't do anything for you as a law enforcement officer. Not to, not to make light of or, or belittle this woman for what she said. That there's, I can't judge her for what she said in that moment. Um, although, this is probably the first learning lesson of, of these sorts of things. Jacob, you talk all the time about the importance of, of rehearsing maybe some key phrases or words that you might use in a high-stress event so that you, you make sure you communicate the right things um, mm-hmm. and that you're not, you know, because your brain, you're just going to be fried as you're trying, you know, you're, you're stressed out. You're stressed to the max. So th- my point is, though, is what all the officers know is that somebody in the home's got a gun. And when they hear something like that, they're going to be on high alert, right? And chances are guns are going to come out of their holsters and they're going to be ready for anything. They encounter... And it's a little unclear still to me if they were outside the home, like at the door, or if they had just stepped inside. Um, Not sure that that's necessarily relevant either, but they see through the doorway, and the door is basically, door's open because it's been kicked in by the intruder, right? They see a man, and they described him as sort of like pacing back and forth. They saw him go one way and then back another way. And, you know, and this is the grandfather that had just shot the intruder. And it's a little unclear as to what he's doing, but they can see him and they can see that he has a gun. And the Aurora police uh, chief tells us that five times in a period of 13 seconds, they commanded the man to drop the weapon and show his hands. And for whatever reason, the grandfather, this homeowner, did not drop the weapon. 
And he, at some point, turns towards them and begins shining his own flashlight at them. And at that point, they fire shots. Or And it's one of the officers. I don't think it's... There was two officers, I believe, present, but only one of them fired shots. The grandfather's killed. You have a dead intruder in there as well. Fortunately, fortunately, the one fortunate thing is that the 11-year-old boy is going to be okay. Right? That's the only good thing that comes out of this, um, is that the grandfather did what he had to to protect that boy. But unfortunately... For whatever reason, due to not either hearing commands, not being totally with it himself, being in shock. I don't know what it was. This was a Vietnam War veteran. Um, you know, he's, he apparently was a decent dude. He, he, he'd worked as a, some kind of investigator, I think, for IRS or something years, you know, as part of his career. Um, he was probably somewhat familiar with guns, right? Um, he used the gun, stopped the intruder, but for some reason did not respond police and got shot. So that's those are the updates that we have on the situation. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so much better now to even talk about this than it was before. Before there was so much conjecture and you know, we were really left to wonder, you know, where who dropped the ball, you know, what, what the crap was the cops thinking or what was this dude doing that made him seem like the threat, you know, and it's so easy to point fingers, especially when I think this is one of those situations that we hypothetically dramatize in our industry, in our community all the time, right? Well, after you shoot that dude, make sure you, you know, put the gun back or you know, identify yourself to the launch. And so we talk about it all the time. And so I, it's really nice having this level of detail because the first thing that I, I kind of take from this is, holy crap, it's not really anyone's direct fault. Like it's hard to point at anyone in this situation and be like, you screwed up. Right, like it's right. it's hard. Not to say anybody that there aren't people who could have done certain things a little better, um, but it's really hard to point at anyone and say you you know someone's dead now because you really were grossly negligent or reckless. I don't I don't see that here. Um, but I, I I I would say this, and I think this is hopefully fair. Hopefully I don't get too much hate mail for this one. I think if I was a law enforcement officer, if I had a badge, and I don't, you know, Riley, you have a badge, I do not. But if I had a badge. When someone points a gun at me, that's game over. That that's game. I mean, it, it would take it would be a very si- special situation where I wouldn't start shooting at someone who points a gun at me if I had a, if I have a badge if I'm on duty, and, and and so I'm I'm sympathetic with the officer who's calling out commands, calling out commands, calling out commands, and he sees the light come up, and you know training is probably such that he would assume the gun's coming up with the light. Uh, or maybe he saw well, the gun too, but you know, some of those things are part, not totally part of the good. issue there is like, as soon as that light starts hitting your eyes, then you You're can't blinded. see what he does. Yeah. Yeah. You don't know what's going on. Right. So right. you assume now that you have a threat. So that's, that's tough. That's hard. Right. So I'm, I'm sympathetic to the officer and, and, you know, we could really hair split that now on the other side, on our homeowner, our Vietnam vet grandfather defender guy, I'm sympathetic for him too. He's a Vietnam vet. Who knows if he's ever fired a gun since he got out of the military? He's hard of hearing, which is really important detail. Yeah, and Ross case. points that out here. And, and and I know I didn't like mention that clearly. <clears throat> Ross viewing on Facebook says he was hearing impaired exclamation mark three times. Yeah. Um, which I don't. I'm, I've been hearing a lot about that this week. Right? People have been well. He's hearing impaired. How can you expect him to comply with commands? And it, it it's like, well, the officers arriving on scene don't, like, how are they to know that? And what relevance does that have? I'm sorry. Like, I know that sounds like, like, I think we as human beings want to latch onto that little tidbit of information, that fact, and go, 
well, you know, the injustice here, you have this veteran that was trying to protect his family and he can't hear very well. And Jacob, you know a little something about being hearing impaired. You you, you don't hear I so well. Hearing out of, impaired. Yeah. You don't hear so well out of one ear. At um, all. Yeah. And, and so, like, and we want to latch onto that and be like, well, this, how, what, what, you know, this is such a serious injustice. You know, this man, he got shot because he couldn't hear the commands drop the gun. You know what? The reason I don't, I'm not like playing on that very much is because just because he was hearing impaired, does not necessarily mean that that has relevance to what happened in this case. Okay. Well, I, I for a disagree. couple of reasons, by the way, for a couple of reasons, hold on, let me make my point. Number one, the, I already mentioned the officers arriving on scene don't know whether someone's hearing impaired. Okay. And, and, and can't be expected to anticipate that somebody is hearing impaired because you can have a young person like Jacob that's hearing impaired. And, and so you can't, you can't ever guess who's hearing impaired. Right. So like, you know, so you can't expect them to like suddenly grant somebody extra privileges or extra time to comply because the officer somehow knows or expects that they're going to be dealing with a hearing impaired person. So that's, that's an unreasonable expectation to place on an officer. Number two, if they're hearing impaired, unless they're completely deaf. Now we say hearing impaired. Yeah. He may have been hard of hearing, Right. I don't think these officers were being quiet or talking at normal speaking tone saying, drop the weapon. I think they were probably screaming it or saying it very, very loudly. All right. Now, does that necessarily mean that the man's going to hear the commands? No, but the point is they probably made a reasonable effort to say, hey, drop the gun, right? Number three, he may have not been able to hear at all because... He is hearing impaired, and now he's just fired several shots, and so it compounds the problem of his hearing impairment. And thus, yes. So, so, and I say that that's one of the reasons why you know, like, I, my point here is that we don't know who's hearing impaired or not. We can't be expected to know this. And regardless of somebody's hearing impaired or not, <clears throat> it does not necessarily mean they're not going to get shot, right? Now, I want to hear so, your your side of it, Jacob. Yeah, I, I, I don't. I think you just contradicted yourself completely. Now, let me clarify. No, I, I, if you're no trying to make the argument that this is not relevant in the officer's actions, I wholeheartedly agree. But if you're suggesting that the fact that the man is hearing impaired is not relevant to the conversation about what happened, I think you're insane. Okay, that's what I was talking about. Is that it's irrelevant to the result, meaning the officer pulling the trigger. Right. Sure. Sure. No, I, I couldn't agree more. Yeah. Right. I don't, I, I see no, I don't think the officer did anything particularly wrong uh, in, in his awareness of, or his reaction yep. to uh, the man's hearing impairment. But I do think it's still a relevant fact when we're looking at what happened and we're trying to understand what happened. So, so to, to say that it's not, so I, I guess I, I challenged, you know, cause you said, I don't think it's irrelevant, relevant. And I, I think it's extremely, extremely relevant. Uh, do I think it, it's it's a, a factor in judging the decisions of the officer? I do not. I do not think it, it is in any way relevant to us deciding if the officers behaved properly or not. Right, right. But I still think it's and, a relevant and, and, fact. And to I'm the glad story. we're getting that clarification because yeah. that that's my response to. I've been seeing a lot of chatter online of people complaining that you know that, that how this shouldn't have happened. And because he was hearing impaired. And it's like, well, wait a minute. No, that's ridiculous. You know, like that has no bearing on what happened on this specific instance. Now, but what happened with 
regards to this man being hearing impaired, has great relevance for all the rest of us as a great learning lesson. Yeah. Yeah. And Chris yeah, is starting exactly. to, Chris is getting on the point here. He says, you still have to know what your protocol should be when the police show up. It is smart to have a plan before the situation happens. He's correct because you yep. are hearing impaired. You need to be making, ma- making some plans or preparations ahead of time that in case something happens, how do you handle that situation? Yep. Yep. So I, I'm glad that we got the clarification too, because I, I, you know, I'm not going to reiterate because we've already, we can bury this hatchet. So let me go back to kind of what I'm talking about. So I, I talked about the yep. officer and my sympathy there for the situation for this man. You know, it's hard to judge a man who's in the ground, who served our country, right. In the military, like very grateful for him. I, I bet you he would rather be dead and his 14 year old grandson be alive than him be alive and his grandson be dead. So I suspect that all things considered, he's still grateful that he did what he did. Uh, if you know, if, if if you believe in the afterlife and believe that he, you know, he he would have an opinion on such things. But if if we as a community are looking at the situation and trying to learn things from it, then then it not in an effort to belittle someone or to, you know to to speak illy of the dead. We still, you know, I think it's still appropriate for us to say, well, what maybe could we learn from that? And and there are some important things to learn from that. I think Chris's comments about being prepared is really, really key. You know, having a protocol, having a plan. You know, in this case, this guy, you know, he fired the shots, and then he was essentially, as as I as I took it from the statement, uh, he was pacing back and forth in the house, kind of like, oh my gosh, what what I just do? What do I do now? You know, and maybe he did, or maybe he didn't hear anything. It might not have mattered if he was hearing impaired. Maybe it did. I think it's relevant. Uh, to the conversation, but frankly, it, any of us who are not hearing impaired could have equally have been blocking out or not noticed that these officers are shouting at us uh, because of the nature of the environment, the adrenaline, or all, you know all those other things, auditory exclusion. I don't know, you know, all these things could could factor into that. But it's an issue of the protocol. It's an issue of saying, okay, I just fired shots. I believe my threat is eliminated. Now instead of wandering around the house, uh, I'm I'm going to have some very specific things I'm going to do. I think that the other thing, the other takeaway for me, in addition to pre-planned protocol, is what I would what I would call stress inoculation. You know, it's this is the hardest thing about our industry for me. I think the number one most difficult thing about our industry is that we can't actually ever practice the real thing. We can we can build the skills, the shooting skills. Uh, we can talk about what we're supposed to do in these situations, but what we can't do in in, in practice is actually emotionally, mentally, and physically put ourselves in the environment so that we know what it feels like and we, we can practice overcoming those barriers that exist. Yeah. Uh, and, and that's probably a challenge. Now we can try, we can simulate it, right? And that's what we, when I say stress inoculation, that's what we say in the industry to suggest in, uh, opportunities to simulate that kind of stress in advance so that we start to build the skills that allow us to uh, you know, take action despite our, th- those kind of you know, physiological barriers being in place. And the more you are put in those kinds of situations and environments, no matter how simulated they might be, the better your body gets at overcoming those barriers and and you know clicking into gear and taking you know taking proper action. So it's it's both it's both muscle memory in terms of I practice something and it's now my protocol, but it's also stress inoculation and in that I can overcome the physiological barriers that prevent me from doing what I think I need to be doing or from prevent me from thinking, frankly. Right. Now, I think to your point, something here that's really interesting to talk about, because we so often talk about the importance of stress inoculation as it relates to using or shooting a gun effectively, right? 
But there's more to it than that. And this case brings up a really interesting point. We don't know for sure what was going through the mind of this Mr. Black, the, the gentleman that was shot and killed in his home. Um, we, we don't still yet know. There's still many things we do not know about the situation or this case. There's still a lot of things that's got to come out. There's still body cam footage that uh, they've made clear that it will be released at some point. Um, the the uh, uh, investigating authorities, and there's a couple of jurisdictions that are involved, are all looking at this. And they, there's certain things they got to do before they can put that stuff out there. There are recordings of 911 calls. There's all this stuff that still has to happen, right? Um, many facts that got to come out. But <clears throat> to this point, well, I think one thing is we can look at, at least as a learning lesson for all of us, is realizing it's not just the stress inoculation as it relates to the use of that gun. It's it, it could be also everything else that comes after that. And it could also be different types of stress. For instance, maybe you have killed somebody before. Maybe as a police, let's just suppose we have a listener out there right now that as a police officer, because of the capacity that he worked in, he, you know, for whatever reason, had to shoot three guys in his career. So been there, done that, totally, you know, familiar with what that's like to, to have to point a gun at a person and pull a trigger or a wartime vet, a combat vet that's been on the ground that has pointed rifles or whatever at, at other, other guys and pulled the trigger, right? Just because you've done that does not mean that you would be inoculated against this type of situation. You might be experiencing stress and shock, not because of this man that you found in the house that you then had to shoot, but because of what was being done to your grandchild, right? And so that's why it's so hard to inoculate us against, you know, these kind of stresses because we, we can't even think of all the possible things that might happen. Let's just suppose that this happens to you and you come across the body of a loved one that somebody has just killed and, or they have been, you know, they did something really terrible to, it, it's, it's a different kind of stress and emotion than just being, you know, than, than just having to fight a dude face to face on the street. It's it's it, there's all kinds of different things that can induce stress and emotion within us. So I think that's anyway. fair. I, but I also think it's important to to understand that any stress inoculation you get will be beneficial in any stress inducing environment. Well, I would say that it certainly can't hurt, right? I think I I agree. By the way, I wanted to point out in this Denver Post article. That they talk about, you know, it's almost like they're trying to find this, like, well, there's there's these problems with regular law-abiding citizens having guns in their hands. And so they point out to the incident in Westminster, Walmart. That's Westminster's uh, kind of a outlying, you know, suburb city of, of Denver here, north of, north and west of Denver. And they referred to this armed shooter that, that uh, it was an armed shooting, uh, active shooting that occurred there, right? A dude shot and killed three people in the in the Walmart and then left. And I remember seeing this in the in the uh, reporting. Police had trouble identifying the bad guy because so many people in the store drew weapons. And what they try to lead you to believe is that police couldn't find the bad guy at the time in the store because so many people drew weapons. What they really meant is that. They were reviewing footage, trying to identify the man, and there were several people that drew guns. So it had no bearing on police in the moment trying to find the guy to stop him. It, it, it was more that they took several hours after the fact while they were trying to get a good screenshot, you know, a good image of this person's face, uh, and, and they just had to rule out these other people in the store that drew their guns. 
Anyway, I just love Denver Post reporting. It's it's fantastic. Sarcasm bleeding from my eyes. Okay, so yeah, I couldn't. I can't read the whole thing because apparently I've reached my quota of Denver Post oh. article. <laughs> yeah, without right. paying them. Yeah, money. you got to pay so much a month to get unlimited yeah. access. Yeah. Well, anyway, this is we'll still be following the story. I know this is a controversial thing. This Aurora homeowner shooting deal, right? Um, and, and we are still making some assumptions, even in the conversation we're having today about this. But I think this is all helpful as far as a mental exercise. And, and hopefully there's some lessons learned that we take from this and go, okay, what am I doing today to make sure that I'm that I'm prepared for how I handle a situation, not just the situation of the intruder coming into my home or whatever sort of attack that might happen, but how I'm handling the situation that comes, the aftermath, everything that comes after that fact, right? How do I interact with the police? How do, you know, what do I tell dispatch if I'm calling? Or what do I make sure that my spouse or other loved one in my home is going to be telling police? Like making sure that they give the, the right information, the right, the, you know, the correct details, all that stuff, Right. And then what do you do once police actually show up on the scene? And just so we know that this sort of thing doesn't happen all the time. In fact, it, this is one of the most blatant, like it's one of the only blatant examples of police showing up where a good guy shot a bad guy and the police killed a good guy, right? We got a, a story that I don't, I think I rule, I think I lined it out of the outline, Jacob, where a man um, held a naked man at gunpoint in a park that had basically you know, posed a threat to this man's family for whatever reason. And police show up on the scene and they tell the man, drop the gun. And he drops, you know, this is the good guy, drops the gun. He does not get, he does not get shot. This sort of thing happens all the time. I'm not saying that we should, you know, lackadaisically be like, ah, it's okay. I'm never going to get shot by the police. Um, the, the fact is every time we put a gun in our hands is there's always a risk, whether from bad guy or from somebody else, there's always a risk. Anytime we put a gun in our hands of something happening to us, and that's just one of those things we have to be okay with, or we have to at least uh, prepare for, right? So, um, interesting comments here. Matthew asked, "Was it so dark that he needed a light?" Uh, I, I I don't know, right? This did happen at night, and turning on an interior light isn't a bad idea. Yeah, probably so. Uh, makes it easier for police to see what's happening for the homeowner as well. If you don't have to stay in the dark, you should. Those are good comments. That's from Matthew that co-hosts on the podcast all the time. After a lethal self-defense scenario, certainly don't want to be walking around the house with a gun in your hand unless you think there are other intruders. There appears to be a lot more information we don't know. That's from Milt. Yeah, true. So anyway, all right. California legislature reconvenes after summer recess. Uh, So now some states have legislatures that only meet for certain times of the year. It's usually from January 1 through like April or May or June. California, apparently, I mean, it's a big state. They got a lot going on. Um, they, they basically meet almost year round, right? But they have a couple of recess periods. Um, so they have just concluded their summer recess. They resumed actually meeting as a legislature yesterday, I believe was the date. And there are several bills that are being considered in the state legislature that are worthy of mentioning. Uh, There's a couple of good ones. Let's highlight the good ones, Jacob. Assembly Bill 986, it would reduce hunting license fees for veterans. Cool. Dig. Senate Bill 1311 would create an annual combined hunting and fishing license. I can't believe California doesn't already have that. Like every other state pretty much does, at least the ones that I'm familiar with. Okay, cool. Dig it. Everything else <laughs> is no bueno. 
<laughs> uh, Assembly Bill 2382 uh, would require precursor firearms parts to be sold, transferred to, through a licensed precursor parts dealer in a similar process to the new laws regarding ammunition purchases. So they're, they're talking about, well, this would be this this would be a good example if this was an eighty percent lower, for instance. Okay, mm-hmm. uh, that I'm holding here. That would be a precursor firearm part. Uh, so it's not complete lower, but something. It's just a part, right? An unserialized part. But this, they also say, this would include barrels, ammunition feeding devices, magazines, and upper receivers. So basically, I mean, it rules nothing out as far as I'm concerned. All these other parts that you presently can buy legally without any sort of special process or background check, which I think is how it should be, um, if this bill goes through, that will change. You will not be able to buy firearm parts in California without going to a dealer and going through a background check. Yeah. The the premise here is, you know, we're so worried about these new ghost guns, right? We're so worried that people are out there, you know, building guns in their garages, buying all the parts and finishing them or, you know, printing them off 3D printers or something equally ridiculous. And so, you know, now we got to we got to put, you know, background checks on people to get any part, you know, at all so that we can prevent all this ghost gunning. <laughs> right. <laughs> So uh, let's see. Next bill. Next bill is um, Senate Bill Two Twenty One, which will prohibit the sale of firearms and ammunition at the Cow Palace. <laughs> I, I think that's. I think that's a specific. Like, I think that's probably where a gun show is taking place. And they're that's trying, a fair guess. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Senate Bill Eleven Hundred would raise the minimum age to purchase a long gun from eighteen and twenty-one. Big surprise there. That's what yep, a lot of places are trying coming. to do. Senate Bill 1177 would prohibit a person from making more than one application to purchase and the dealer delivery of any type of firearm within any 30-day period. So I guess you can't buy more than once per month. Any 30-day period, yeah. Yep. And Senate Bill 1487 would prohibit the possession of certain African species of wildlife. Uh, so the and it says here the dead. Two- by the way, we're talking about trophies. Right, right. The true goal of the bill <laughs> is to ensure that a lawful U.S. hunter is not allowed to bring home a hunting trophy, even though the animal was legally taken and the hunter has the approval of the U.S. federal government. Yep, there you go. Your rights are under <laughs> fire yet again. It'd be interesting. You know what I'd love to see? Maybe a listener can find this online, but I would love to see the number of laws that are on the books, um, you know, for all 50 states and like have, like, I would like to see which states are the most regulated states. Like they have just the most laws. Um, I bet you California's got to be up there, man. They just have so many laws. It's like, what is going on? Yep. Yep. It's crazy. All right. So if you're Californian, uh, stand up and fight, you know, let your senators and representatives and everybody else, (laughs) let them know. Uh, seriously, this is, this is, uh, and, and, you know, we talk about slippery slope, right? And I, I know there's some people on the other side, the anti-gun side that would say, oh, you guys are just overreacting. Like, we don't want to take all this other stuff away. We just, we just want the assault weapons. We just want the, we just want the, you know, high capacity semi-automatics. Like you can keep all that other stuff. There's some stuff here that they're talking about that I think, I mean, this is slippery slope right here. It's like, okay, we got this last session. Now let's do this. Now let's do that. What else can we do? Mm -hmm. Not good. 
Yep. Go to the link in the show notes because there's some information on this website about uh, how to contact you know your legislatures. Yeah. In fact, did, uh, would you post that uh, link in the comments yep. for Facebook folks? Thanks. Sure. Because uh, I forgot to do that. Just because I'm moving on already to a story on IJR.com. Two. This one was. I thought. I thought. I thought it was pretty cool when I came across this first time. Two years since campus carry law enacted, college says carrying guns makes campus a safer place. This article written by Madison Summers on IJR.com highlights that the Texas concealed carry law that was amended a few years about uh, two years ago now that removed the restriction, right, against students carrying concealed on uh, public university and college campuses in the state of Texas. Now, their law is structured a little bit differently than, say, our law here in Colorado. Colorado, there's basically no rest- – um, the university can't really restrict the right to carry concealed on, on a public university or college campus. In Texas's law, they can implement some rulemaking um, as far as how students uh, might carry on campus, but they can't, pr- they can't completely restrict them from carrying on campus, right? And so, but this is pretty interesting because this is highlighting Texas Tech, which is not a small school by any means. In fact, it's a pretty big school. Uh, and so I, I, when I first saw this, I thought, oh, surely this is like some small little community college. Uh-uh, this is Texas Tech. And I'll just highlight a quote right here in the second paragraph of the article, Jacob, from Texas Tech Police Department Lieutenant Amy Ivey telling the news, I believe... This makes a, the campus a safer place to live, learn, and educate. Campus police, it says, going on, that the policy actually keeps active shooters away from the university, and that if there was ever a case of an active shooter, someone might be able to stop the shooter if they are armed. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah, I love to see this because when the law was uh, went into effect back in uh, 2016, there's so much drama, right? I mean, we had schools like this one that were carrying around dildos in protests. And we had professors showing up wearing body armor because they were, they were trying to communicate that they were afraid for their lives. We had professors who would hold their office hours at bars near campus so that their students co- couldn't come to office hours with guns. Uh, I, I mean, it was, it was crazy. So to see two years later yeah. that um, all that stuff you guys said would happen, of course, didn't happen like we said it wouldn't happen. And in fact, now we're having a lot of uh, no, I don't think everyone's turned turned around. I don't think that's what this article is trying to communicate. But it is trying to communicate that at least at Texas Tech, some some powers that be here, including campus police, really feel safer, and that's a good thing. It, this is a big admission. This is from the police department of a major university in Texas, saying we think this policy makes our campus safer. I, I know for a fact that that's not how every college or university police department feels across America. Uh, but we believe that, that is probably the truth and that what this, I mean, it's just, it's, it's refreshing to hear that stated from a major police department like this of, of a major university. This is not a statement from the university administration themselves. This is from the police department, but that, that should speak volumes, uh, you know, and, and that would make me as a, if I was a Texas tech student, I would feel so much better knowing that my the police department is on my side and know that I guarantee you that police department works closely closely with university administration and that's that's 
a powerful ally to have, you know, to help transform the culture of a major university like that, uh, as far as being a lot more open to the idea of students carrying concealed on campus. But you're exactly right, Jacob. They they had they would have us believe two years ago when when all the protesting and everything was going on, the, the argument was this will make our campus less safe, having guns in classrooms in the hands of students. Uh, but uh, it would appear, and I I think it would appear. I mean, I, I don't know. We don't have any specific crime stats, but this is the police department, so I'm assuming that maybe I don't know. If, it'd be interesting to see if there's any change at all in st- statistics on yeah. campus crime. I don't know. That would be interesting. Uh, two other quick just thoughts from me. One would be, I, I did look up Texas Tech enrollment in case anyone's curious kind of how big the school is. Total enrollment in 2017 was 37,000 students. And that's their, you know, the, it's been steadily growing. That's, you know, that, they said that was a record in 2017 fall semester, 37,000. And one other thought would be, I wish journalists could stop digging up the exact same images from Getty Images every time they have to write <laughs> articles about concealed carry. I'm so tired of seeing these pictures. And it's funny because this, like the pictures in this article are actually from a concealed carry class in Utah. <laughs> so it's like we're using a some, some Getty Image images from a concealed carry class in Utah. <laughs> to right. talk about Texas campus carry. It's absolutely fantastic. Well, and it, it's an image of several young, I mean, look, as far as you could tell, it, it looks like it, it could be a bunch of these uh, college students on, on some, you know, on Texas Tech University campus in some kind of class. And this kid, he's got a gun in his hand, finger on the trigger, he's pulling it back. He's squinting his one eye like, oh man, this is really hard. And, uh, you know, and, and you wonder what's going on there. It looks like a real gun. He's pulling the trigger, but we don't know the context of as far as well. Was that gun made safe? Is there some kind of safety device inside the gun? Is it actually not a real gun? Uh, and also, there's t- times too when journalists catch the craziest images because the journalists themselves, hey, hey, I would like I'd like to get a picture of you, you know, doing that. Hey, would you just put your finger on the trigger? You know, that make it look more realistic. Or you know, like that happens all the time, by the way. Well, I love this one. They have a picture in this article of someone being fingerprinted, even though in Texas. Fire instructors do not fingerprint their students. Students have to go to a state-certified fingerprinting company to get their fingerprints done and submitted yeah, to the state. And it's all done electronically, too. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, I'm sorry. I just had to point out how journalists are either too lazy or too incompetent to get some fresh pictures yep. that are accurate. So next story is actually uh, one authored by uh, John Crump, a friend of ours, and he writes for Ammoland. And uh, this one is tens of thousands of ghost gun files downloaded despite judge's order. And so we talked about this, I think, last week about the whole, you know, 3D printing ghost gun thing, you know, and that that there was an injunction issued uh, against uh, uh, Defense Distributed. Right, we we have this Cody Wilson fellow that's been in this battle with the State Department for several years, uh, just trying to get the right to post these files on his website. By the way, this really stood out to me, J- Jacob. I think uh, John did a really good job of summarizing kind of the timeline of everything that happened in this battle with the State Department. And uh, something that jumped out at me here, I, I hadn't quite heard this, um, says here, oh, I had it, and then I scrolled up. It referred to, I think, the the State Department saying how posting these files on the internet is was just like going to Mexico and putting the guns in the hands of people there or something like that. It was 
Oh man, I had the quote right here. Where did it go? At the, t- at the time, the State Department compared the sharing of the files online to driving to Mexico and handing out firearms on the streets. There you go. Yep, I still can't find it, but that was the quote. <laughs> like, so it's amazing to me. I mean, you have government agency that is so incompetent as far as like how things work. And so this is this goes to show just how easily this proliferates throughout all of society now in all the major news media that you know these ghost guns and these files like somehow magically are going to make guns just you know appear out of thin air on the streets like it's just so easy to make these guns when it's still it's not right or, or that these guns are actually like really nice good firearms <laughs> like there was what was that video someone on our team shared it the other day in a company meeting and it was some you know legislature up at Capitol Hill who had like a picture of a beautiful, like Cerakoted, gorgeous AR-15, you know, like yes, yes, $3,000 AR. And he was pointing at it and saying, these ghost guns are being downloaded off the internet and made in 3d printers. That's like, what? (laughs) Like you can never make that from a 3d, you know, so just huge ignorance. Yeah. You know, in, in the ignorance, just, it just proliferates. Uh, you even have President Trump, right? He tweeted last week, I'm looking into 3D plastic guns. Be- <laughs> Look into it, dude. Plastic that, guns. Plastic, like, like even that terminology would have you believe that these guns, that the, the, the gun is made out of, it's all plastic and it's untraceable and undetectable. And I mean, like, come on, President Trump. You're supposed to be our pro Second Amendment president. Uh, and uh, even you are buying into some of this stupid rhetoric. And he says he's looking into them being sold to the public. Already spoke to NRA. Doesn't seem to make much sense. <sighs> Man, like, you know, this is the battle. Like, we, <laughs> this is a battle that we've got to, we have to win the hearts and minds, both of the people. Um, or else we end up like where California is right now, where. They're talking about passing some crazy laws. You know, you might, Jacob, you might be able to make, you know, a liberator style gun, right? You know, that's that's the simplest one out of everything that's that's online there. That's that's the simplest model to download and print and manufacture. You might be able to make a, a liberator, a single shot, twenty-two long rifle, 3D printed gun. Like that, that, that's like probably the best that somebody with a cheap, you know, kind of commercial or not commercial, but, uh, 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 what's the word Not commercial. What's the other, you know, you know, just a private, uh, 3d printer, you know, um, yeah, homemade yep. consumer grade. There you go. That's the word I was looking for. You might be able to make a, a liberator and you'd be able to fire off single shots of 22 long rifle. Whoa. You know? If anything, they should be clamoring for this technology to get out there because, you know, all the gangbangers, you know, <laughs> that would make... No gangbanger would be caught dead with one. <laughs> that would be way embarrassing. But that's that's what, they're, what we're being led to believe is that they're going to be downloading and printing and making all these illegal ghost guns out there on the streets. And the reality is the best thing they can probably do is come up with a single shot twenty two. And if that's what the gangbangers are printing out and making, then okay, great. Guess what? Um, that's far less lethal than something of a much higher quality and grade. 
<sighs> yeah, I, I think there's a bigger question here. Like, I, I don't think that's a really good argument against legislation myself. I mean, right now, it is certainly an easy thing to point out. Like, come on, guys, you're ridiculous. But to me, you know, it, it's safe to assume that 3D printing technology can improve over time and that it would become more accessible to average you know, consumers. So I, I get that there's a you know, bigger long-term question here. But for me, it still is ridiculous. I mean, I, I, I'm on record as saying that a lot of things to do with what we do, make people do to acquire firearms is ridiculous. So I don't see this as being any different, even if the technology was significantly better. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, we certainly agree. It's just fun. That, it's fun to talk about because, you know, we're, we're, we're expending so much capital in this country you know, screaming, arguing, debating, freaking out over something that is like, it's, 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 we're making it a bigger, much bigger issue than it ever. Well, I don't know about ever. You're right. I mean, could technology improve? Absolutely can improve. But the, can you get rid of information? No. And it, all someone has to be able to do is be skilled enough. Like even if you got rid of all available uh, CAD plans, right? In the entire world. If you could ma- somehow manage to make that all just go away, all it takes is somebody that's skilled with a computer to draw up a freaking plan and then print it and make it. Like it's, it's, it's simple engineering. Jeez, John Moses Browning was making guns without any kind of technology whatsoever, right? Some steel, make yeah. some cuts. Hammer grind. and fire, I mean, man. I, that's what's, that's what's ridiculous about this. Anyway. All right. Good, good article, though, John Crump. Uh, there's your little shout, shout out. Two men sought in robbery of Henderson Bank. Um, so we've got this story here. Let's see here. No, that's not what I was looking for. That's why I got confused. This is what I was looking for. <laughs> I don't know what that one's about. Trailer with 400 firearms stolen from Fiesta Henderson parking lot. This one just got to talk about because it's kind of like, whoa, wait, what? I don't know if this was like somebody's private stash. And even right reading the article, like I, I was trying to identify who the owners are, Jacob. Here's the details. It's, it's confusing. You have a trailer and a truck parked in the parking lot of a casino in Las Vegas. Henderson, Nevada. It's basically Las Vegas. And that truck and trailer gets stolen. And apparently in the trailer is, they initially said 400 firearms. The clo- the accurate, the more accurate count is closer to 300 guns. It's still a lot of guns. And so it got stolen and they have now arrested three people involved. I think there was two that actually stole the truck and or trailer. And one man that was been arrested because he was, like, he's under suspicion of, of uh, knowingly, you know, he was going to buy all this uh, stolen goods. So uh, I was like, is this like a semi truck with a bunch of guns that was being shipped from a major manufacturer somewhere? Or it sounds this like, like a movie. some, yeah, exactly. Right. Like some, you know, big heist movie plot, <laughs> you know? And I was thinking like, you know, when I first read it, I'm thinking, is this some dude that has 300 plus personal guns? Like kudos to him. And if for whatever reason he had them stashed in this trailer and he's, I don't know, like that's the way the story reads. I'm thinking it's more like a, some sort of transport vehicle for, for commercial reasons that was transporting these guns to a dealer or a distributor or something. Like, that seems more likely here. But uh, somebody here said that they thought it must be an inside job because, you know, they 
there was all these other trucks and trailers. Cause I mean, you have to understand this is, this is Las Vegas. There's a lot of trucks, you know, uh, large trucks, semi trucks that go through there. Guys will stop and, uh, uh, take a break and, you know, take, take a chance at the tables or whatever while they're taking a break and then continue on their way. So it's not unusual to see semi trucks and trailers parked in parking lots of, of casinos in, in Las Vegas. So, uh, but they were thought, well, surely whoever stole this, must have known what was in that trailer and that's why they stole this one well it could have just been chance i don't know either way that's a crap load of guns to be uh stolen crazy story there um next story here and and, and i like this one because uh i mean i don't like what's going on in this neighborhood but uh this is from kaaltv.com this is a i believe a uh, st paul minneapolis uh, uh news station and the article here says people arming themselves in st paul neighborhood in response to summer crime apparently it's on the north side and what they call the north end of st paul and crime has been getting so bad there that uh, there's quite a movement amongst the citizens to arm themselves. Uh, concealed carry courses are on the rise. People are going through all these classes, buying guns, carrying concealed. In fact, one lady, she owns a, a restaurant called Tin Cup, and she said she's obtained a permit to carry, and half of her staff has done the same, so she can have two or three staff members armed with a firearm each night her restaurant is open. Wow, that's that's really something coming from a restaurant owner. What what blows my mind is that like we're freaking out because you know twelve people from this neighborhood have obtained concealed carry permits. <laughs> True. <laughs> I mean, and that, that's literally how it goes. There's probably twelve <laughs> people on my street that have concealed carry permits. Um, you know, we're talking like there's like fourteen to there's an estimated fourteen to fifteen million concealed carry permit holders in this country. And so I, I just, I don't know something about this article. Like, Whoa, like huge well, panic. They, now I get it. That they the talk really bad in this neighborhood, but yeah, I, I don't know. They, they talk with an instructor named Gene and he says he's had 24 people from the neighborhood contact him for training. Uh, I was thinking, this was my thought as well as that. Well, he's had 24 people contact him for training. How many times do we have people contact us and never actually sign up? <laughs> well, he said 21 of those people have already received their permits. But oh, but still, like okay. 24 I... is not a lot. I mean, <laughs> I teach single classes with 24 students in them all the time. You know, like, I don't know. No, I just... What's going on in this city is is really scary, this neighborhood. I mean, sure, like, they sure. talk about there's, like, there's, there's gunshots. Every, it says right here, in my neighborhood, uh, quoting one of the residents here. It's gunshots every day, night or day. It doesn't matter. And we don't even go into the backyard anymore. My, my garden is dying and we are moving. We are putting our house up for a sale. Uh, now, I, I don't know what's going on in this neighborhood, but uh, that it doesn't sound very good. But either way, I'm just glad that there's so many people that that are taking their the responsibility for their own lives and safety into their own hands. And that we have the right in this country to do that. Uh, I wish it was easier sometimes for people to do so, um, that it sometimes didn't cost as much as it does. At the same time, I, I hope that these people also will not think that just because they got one little three or four hour course and got a permit and then bought their gun, that they're good to go. I, I really hope when I read stuff like this, that people are actually not just being motivated to buy the gun and get the permit, but being motivated to actually 
actually become well trained and, and prepared in the use of that gun. But sure. Anyway, interesting story nonetheless. Uh, and I, I actually appreciate the the fact that the media is highlighting something like this because the more we see stuff like this highlighted in mainstream media, the more it normalizes it for, you know, in a, in a culture that has already been normalizing the opposite of that, that guns are bad, that concealed carry is for crazy paranoid wackos. And this makes it, Hey, guess what guys, this is what we do when we have, you know, crime or safety issues in our neighborhood. We can arm ourselves and we can defend and protect ourselves. And this is a perfect segue to get into our Justified Saves segment. Now, the first story I have lined up here, Jacob, though, was actually listed in our outline under what not to do. I'm not sure if it's so much of what not to do because it's a little bit – it's hard to always say sometimes in some of these cases what is right or what is wrong, right? But this is an interesting situation. NBC10 uh, news affiliate – in um, Newcastle, Delaware, where this is where the incident happened was Newcastle, but this is in the Delaware area, right? Bus driver shoots man after being hit with pepper spray on I-95 in Delaware, police say. So the story goes, a bus driver's driving along. Oh, About- I'm going to just interject. That <laughs> age is important. He's 28 years old. Okay. All right. So the bus driver is 28 years old. He's driving along. And he notices a man in a 2005 Dodge Durango, so an SUV, right, following him. The driver of the Durango went to the right side of the bus and appeared to be waving a cell phone at the the bus driver. The bus driver then got onto I-95 northbound. The driver of the Durango continued to follow him. He then came up on the left side of the bus and continued to wave his cell phone at him. Both drivers then pulled over to the side of the road. Both men got out of their vehicles and an altercation ensued, police said. The driver of the Durango, a 53-year-old Wilmington man, allegedly took out pepper spray and and sprayed the bus driver in the face. The bus driver then pulled out a handgun and fired at the 53-year-old man, striking him in the upper torso. The bus driver then immediately rendered first aid to the 53-year-old man and called 911. Hmm. Yep. So... Um, the reason on the surface this looks like a what not to do is because we're inferring that it's probably, generally speaking, not acceptable uh, ethically or legally to shoot at someone because they've sprayed you with pepper spray. Now, uh, I appreciate, right, that you said we one. don't know for sure that this this is a what not to do because we don't know all the details. We don't know, for example, that our Durango SUV driver didn't say, dude, I'm going to freaking kill you after I spray you with this pepper spray and pull out some pepper spray and spray the dude. And he might've been like, Oh, next he's going to kill me. Cause he said he would, um, you know, that, that that's unlikely, but a plausible explanation that would justify the use of the firearm in defense. So, you know, not knowing all those little details, it's hard, but I, I mentioned, I thought the age was important because we have a 20 year old, a 28 year old man who is getting sprayed with pepper spray and responding with a firearm against a 53-year-old man. Now, if it had been the opposite, just for fun, let's imagine that the bus driver was 53 and he was being sprayed with pepper spray from a 28-year-old man. Now, age doesn't tell all the story, right? You know, body type and you know uh, mannerisms and how big and you know, all that kind of stuff matters. But A 53-year-old but, can still be a, a very fit and totally, strong sure. you know, uh, fighter. It's not an 83-year-old man. Right, right. But it, it, it would still change things a little bit. I would be a little bit more likely... 
to believe that a 53-year-old man who was sprayed with pepper spray uh, you know, felt that he was actually in some sort of moral danger and, and had to use his firearm, then I would be to believe the opposite, that a 28-year-old man believed that when a 53-year-old sprayed him. So age does matter, along with a variety of other things that matter. Uh, but it, it, I don't see a very likely scenario where this is a justified shot. I think it's hard to say. I mean, like, I definitely agree that on the surface, it's like, whoa, hey there, I don't know, you know. Um, But we don't know all the facts, right? And we don't know, there's just too much we don't know, right? I mean, now keep in mind, pepper spray, it's not, it, it, this is not the same thing as somebody shoves you and you pull and shoot a gun, right? Pepper spray is what we consider a, a less lethal product, right? Um, could it actually kill somebody to use pepper spray? Yes. In very rare instances, you know, someone that has some serious, uh, lung issues, breathing issues, asthmatic, whatever, you know, stuff like that. Cause what happens when you get hit with pepper spray? I mean, this is you know, a high concentrated dose of capsaicin, which, you know, spice basically it's, it's going to feel like it's hot and burning and, uh, airways get, can get inflamed, right? So, I mean, this is not, this is something that is definitely escalating a fight, potentially. Um, if it, Assuming that the man that used the pepper spray was not like justified in using that pepper spray as he was trying to defend himself. But what's interesting about this whole situation is that the older man appears to have initiated all of this contact because he's the one that was trying to flag down, flag down this bus driver. And it's so you know, that's the other piece too. It's like, well, who, you know, what what started all of this? What was the fifty three year old man in the Durango? What was he doing to try to stop this to pull over this bus driver? Did he then, ex, you know, be, was he the f- first one that exchanged blows? You know, I no, we don't, and and that's what we sure. don't know. And that's why I say, yeah, on the surface, I can see where it, it. This is why we put it in the what not to do because I think the lesson to be learned is be, you know, slow to draw that gun, right? I mean, someone sprays you with pepper spray does is not necessarily guarantee that you should be drawing and, and pulling the trigger. Um, but, you know, as is the case with so many cases like this is there's a lot of facts and details that do matter. Um, but we, we have to go back to what the law says. And what the law says is assuming you are innocent, meaning you are not the person that's instigated or initiated the, the fight, the threat, um, so you're the defender, you're the initial victim, right? And uh, provided that you reasonably believe that your life is in danger of you, you being killed or receiving great bodily injury, right? And depending on the state that you're in, I mean, this can all vary a little bit. That's the general rule, right? You reasonably believe that your life is in danger, like that's that's the guiding principle here. That's the standard. That's what the law says. That's what we have to look at when we're evaluating this case. Now, the man that pulled the trigger was taken into custody, but he has not yet been charged. Be interesting. It will be interesting to see what happens. If I don't know if we'll be able to follow up with this or not, um, but you know whether they do end up charging him or what the facts are that as they come out. I don't know. Our first. Yep justified save story though. And, and Jacob, I'm saving the best for last. So the, the Florida story, I'm, I'm 
bumping to the bottom here. Got it. So first up here, we've got second suspect sought after Garden Grove homeowner shoots, injures suspected burglar, say police. This is from KTLA Channel 5. Uh, so this is, in, I believe, in California, Garden Grove. Basically, the situation is armed homeowner shoots and injures one of two suspected burglars who emerged from his neighbor's house, then helped police detain the other one on Friday. This happened around 11.30 a.m., so this is during the work week, it's during the work day. Uh, the homeowner returned to his residence and discovered two men jumping into his backyard. <clears throat> David Avila, is just the guy that's talking to the press, said that the homeowner is his cousin, and he was with him as the ordeal unfolded. Quoting this Mr. Avila, the guys were coming out with two bags of something. My cousin asked, what are you guys doing in my backyard? The men told him they, were, they weren't coming from his backyard, but that didn't matter to his cousin. The home burglarized sits behind his. A sliding glass window had been smashed and the house was ransacked. The homeowner, who was armed, pulled a gun out and tried to detain the two men. This is where it gets interesting. Okay, so basically we have a, a burglary, a, a home uh, you know, break-in and burglary that occurred in the house behind his. They get away with stuff. They jump the fence into his yard. He encounters them. He draws his gun. And it says here, they in turn, they in turn attacked and tried to disarm him. Hmm. Yeah, like, you, you got to put this one in, like, first-person perspective. You're hanging out in your backyard, doing what? You know, eating dinner, I don't know, relaxing. In my case, swinging on the hammock, reading emails. And someone jumps into your backyard, and they're carrying stuff. <laughs> You're like, you don't recognize these Pillowcases. Yeah. Like, what do you, what do you, yeah, they got, they got masks on. No, I'm just joking. I don't know about the masks. But you're like, hey, what are you doing here? And, you know, they, you, you quickly ascertain that they're, they're criminals, right? That they, that's bad. That they, that, you know, you, you look in your neighbor's yard and you see a, a smashed in uh, glass window and a, and a mess and, and these guys are holding stuff. Okay, what the crap, right? So what this person does is draws a firearm and it says, quote, attempts to detain them, uh, which is very specific, uh, I thought. <laughs> extremely specific and then and then they they don't want to be detained so they attack the man with the gun they don't just run off they attack right and so now you're one man with a gun you thought you had the upper advantage right you thought you had this going on you know i, I got i'm the guy with the gun here but now you're being attacked by two other people and a shot rings off but as far as i can tell from having read this entire thing no one was hit with a bullet right no one I don't think a shot impacted anybody. Uh, so a shot did ring off, but didn't hit anyone. And and then those two men uh, flee on on foot and eventually. And, and there's a, a, and they, a getaway they, car. I believe they took the gun with them. I think. Did I see Ooh, that? Oh, I didn't see. Or that, that might have been they, another story because we have another yeah, one that kind of. I didn't see that anywhere. Uh, you'll have to look while I'm oh, talking. Oh, that's the one where the woman gets shot. Uh, okay, all right. I, so we have two stories today that are kind of similar in a way. Yeah. So, so they, they, they run to a getaway car. Now, on the way to the getaway car, one of them is tackled by a number of neighbors and holds that man down until the police arrive. He gets arrested. The other one gets into the getaway car and gets away. Yeah. Pretty wild. It, it is. And so, obviously, this is one of those things, and I know, I know this is where, where you would be going with this. Um, 
why are we taking upon ourselves to try to detain these burglars? Like, I, I get the fact that like, we are law-abiding folk, and we hate to see bad things happen to good people. You hate to see this happen to your neighbor, and you hate to see the bad guy get away. Like, I totally, totally get that. But do you have to detain that man? It's, it's, it's a fine line, right? Like, it's hard because we say the word detain, and, and that may or may not be... I guess it is a fine line because if I draw my gun, I say, Hey dude, like do not come over here. <laughs> like, that's very defensive. Right. Right. right? right. That's very defensive. Yep. Like, Hey, do not come over here. Then, then they might be like, Oh, it's cool, dude. We're just going to walk over. You know, we're just going to go that way. It's like, great. And they probably wouldn't attack me. They'd probably just get lost. Right. But it's different than me drawing my gun and saying, don't move. I'm calling the cops. If you guys you know, do not move. Uh, don't go anywhere. Stop. Stay there. Uh, th- those are those are detaining words, right? Where I'm essentially threatening you. I'm I'm essentially communicating that I will shoot you if you try and you know get away. I will prevent your escape, and I am submitting you to custody with with a threat of my gun. Uh, and that's different. I mean, there's the whole legal problem. Like, go listen to episode one of our podcast. Right, that was kind of the topic of episode one. But but there's also just kind of this this general tactic issue where the objective this man had was to see these men brought to jail, to justice. And his objective was not to protect his own life and the life of the other person that was in his backyard with him. And because of that, he got into a battle over the gun. And that battle over the gun was probably not, not necessary. It probably wouldn't have happened if he had taken a defensive attitude toward this incident. Yeah. Uh, retreat back into your home, secure the home, have your gun ready at the ready there uh, in case they decided, well, gee, we can't have this guy being you know, a witness. So, you know, we have to go in there and kill him or whatever, you know, like, um, so he, he, here's, here's a great way I think of trying to differentiate for people, for, for listeners, what a gun is, as it relates to detaining someone. And actually that, that is the key right there. A gun is not something that you use to detain somebody. It's that that it's not. What is a gun for? A gun is a tool used to shoot somebody. And so you gotta have a reason to shoot them. The gun is not, it does not equal detention. Does that make sense? Uh you see guns with gun you see cops with guns out, right? When they're performing an arrest because Either that person just had a weapon in their hands, or they were doing something that suggested to the, to the cop that they that they were dangerous. But the gun's not in the hand to affect the arrest. A detention is getting control over them and putting cuffs on, and then placing them in a squad car. That that's detention. That's an arrest. So in other words, we we get confused as sometimes as CCWers that oh I got to stop this guy. Oh hey my gun. You know like. If I use this, then they'll stop because they'll be scared that they'll get shot. And so, and it will happen here. This guy probably was not justified to shoot. And do you think that he, that he even wanted to, or was ready to shoot? Probably not. And I'll tell you what, those criminals, they're not stupid. They can see, they could probably see in that dude's eyes that he was not going to pull the trigger. Hmm. What do you yeah. think? And so, oh, this guy's not going to shoot us. Like he's okay. Let's attack. Let's let's take that gun from him. You know, and that's how this guy got himself almost in very serious trouble. 
Uh, I'm not even talking about legal stuff. I'm just talking about tactics. This was terrible tactics, trying to use the gun as the detention device. Now, the detention device is a pair of cuffs. The gun is not a tool for trying to arrest somebody. Yeah, you're you're speaking as a very you know well trained informed guy with a badge. I, I would add this that both uh, tactics and legally, and and I'm oversimplifying. I realize it, but just just because it's the easiest way for me to say something like this out loud in one sentence, the primary thing that separates the armed citizen from the law enforcement officer is that the law enforcement officer has the right and the obligation to submit people to custody and prevent their escape. And the civilian does not. That is that is the primary thing that makes us different, both in terms of our tactics, our objectives, and our legal uh, ability. You know, and and I, I just don't, I, I, you know, that's hard. I get it. It's hard because we want to submit people to, to justice and we don't want them to come back later and, and, and you know, have, you know, cause more issues. But that's, that's yep. the difference. Yeah, yeah. I know, I know some guys listen, well, what about citizen's arrest? Well, yeah, there are statutes in some states, but you know what? It's still just a really, really bad idea. Even if you follow all the rules exactly to the letter, um, it's still just a really bad idea. Well, in the states that I'm aware of, the citizen's arrest laws do not allow that you use a gun or a threat of a gun, deadly force, to enact that citizen's arrest. That's certainly true in Utah and Colorado, two states where I'm most intimately familiar with the law. Uh, Maybe in some states it's totally fine, but I bet if you went and checked your citizen's arrest laws, you would find that in situations where you can perform a citizen's arrest, you can't do it with the barrel of a gun. Yeah. I I think it's okay to, I mean, like, where, where we see this sort of thing happen sometimes, right? is where you have a reasonable belief that person might pose potential threat against you. So a lot of times we see citizens not get in trouble legally when they detain somebody inside their home or in a situation where that individual was was previously a threat, meaning you you just had to draw your gun, maybe even use it because they were trying to hurt or kill you and you know, and the result is that that person is now wounded or they are on the ground and they're not going anywhere because you're still there with a gun. Um, and I think like, I'm not saying that, you know, we definitely are on the record on this podcast as saying that in the event that you had an intruder in your home and you draw and you use your gun or you at least draw your gun out and they go, Oh, Hey man. And they start to leave. Like, yeah, let them leave. Like there's no reason to detain them. Um, as long as it's not a result of you, stopping them because they were going to try to hurt you. Uh, anyway, t- tough things there to figure out. But I think the, the, the fact is too many people react in the moment and go, Ooh, I can't, I can't let that, you know, I got to stop these guys. And mm-hmm. your very, your initial assessment, Jacob was very on point as far as saying, take a defensive tactic. When you take the gun out to use it to arrest or detain somebody, you are using it in a very offensive Manner. And that's another way to like kind of make sense of this in your brain, mm-hmm. right? The next, the next story. I'm just going to jump into it because it's yep. just very similar in, yep. in many regards. I don't think we, we, we don't need to beat this one as badly into the ground because it's the same kind of story. But you know, here you have a situation where an 80 year old homeowner uh, and his wife come home. They see several clues that suggest somebody might be in that home. They hear a door open, the hose is out with the waters on, uh, a, a door is locked that wasn't locked before. So they go around, they, you know, the homeowner grabs his eight-year-old homeowner, he grabs his gun, he's kind of searching the house, and he stumbles upon the intruder. 
and uh, you know it, it, he kind of checks the burglar to make sure that he's not armed, and then he marched quote marched him outside to wait for police. Okay, <laughs> I love that part. Yeah, marched, marched him, him outside, out. the ho- like like John Wayne style is, is how I see it. The, the homeowner's 53-year-old son was outside and on the phone with a police dispatcher at the time. Yep. Uh, and the ho- here's, here's the best part. The homeowner t- said, he told the intruder to do what he was told or he'd be shot. <laughs> and, quote, <laughs> the, and the intruder complied. Uh, so... This is this is a crusty eighty year old man. This is, that's what the that's what you got right here. He's yeah. probably a veteran. Don't move, too. Or I'll shoot you, man. <laughs> yeah. Get down on your knees. You don't mess with those eighty year olds, man. Let me tell you. Nah, it's serious. It's super serious. So I, I think all the same stuff we just said about the last news story applies here. I will say one more thing that I think is interesting because I just I don't know. I'm that guy. But uh, another quote from the homeowner. He said, "I either thought he was high on something or hallucinating. He was trying to say something about being an undercover agent." End quote. So here you have the poor burglar who's been caught in the act and he's trying to convince him, no, I'm an undercover agent. That's why I'm in your house looking at your stuff. So anyway, that's a fun detail. I I do think there are some other really important lessons to pull out of this one. Um, Okay. First of all, you know, we've talked about in a number of episodes about not searching and clearing your own home. Especially yeah, without without need, in this right? situation, without this guy he's he starts outside. Like it's I, it's kind of one thing, you know. Like I don't expect people to call police every time they hear a bump in the night, right? I, I just I, that's police don't want to be getting called out every time somebody's like they wake up in the middle of the night. Oh, I heard something, you know. And, oh, I'm scared to go out there and investigate. Like you see, you see what I mean. But this is a situation where there's some clues to where they thought somebody was inside the house. And there's very specific clues. Like, for instance, one thing. Now, th- this is this is not. Th- it's not one thing by itself. It's a combination of these things, right? First of all, they noticed a hose dragged across the driveway, and it was running. And they knew they hadn't they hadn't done that, right? But the second thing, and this one's actually really telling. Um, let's see. His wife said she she suspected somebody was in the house, and she, because she heard the door open, but she said nobody. She she said something, but nobody answered. And when she came out the back door, the deadbolt was locked on the inside. Um, so something about the situation, she's like, whoa, somebody came in. Um, and and it, it definitely clear, clued her onto something going on. She met her husband outside, and he then went inside with the gun t- to find what was going on, right? That's yeah. that's the first thing. Like That's probably not the wisest play. But here's the here's the other thing. And this is even more concerning to me, Jacob. What if, we have to ask this question, what if the person that came into the home is a family member? Hmm? And you are now going inside the home with a gun in hand, exploring around, clearing rooms, and you suddenly are surprised by your son or daughter or grandson or granddaughter, because they're old enough for, for that, obviously, here, uh, that pops out of nowhere and surprises you with your hand in your gun or your, your gun in your hand. Uh, you see, that's that's where it's really concerning to me. That's where we get stories where grand, you know, old man accidentally shot his grandchild because he didn't know they, you know, he, they unexpectedly came into the house. That's a problem. That that's what that's where we got to be using the brain, the, the thinking part of our brain, and go. Hmm, maybe this is not the smartest thing for me to walk inside of that house and and try to clear it myself with my gun in hand. 
Yeah, because you don't. You, like, add that you, you don't can be, who, Go ahead. I just you don't know who that is. Go ahead. I'm also thinking you could be disturbing evidence that would have helped law enforcement find the perpetrator. You know, you're touching stuff. You're potentially destroying fingerprints, and you know, I mean, if you if you have what you think is a crime scene, like leave the thing alone. Yeah. Now, as to the fact that he went in and he finds the guy downstairs or something, and uh, the guy's kind of like cowering, it sounds like, because he was down on his knees. I can kind of understand you de- you sort of detaining somebody at gunpoint if that, assuming that's a situation you're in, because like how do you, if you're in a situation where you can't really let them escape, does that make sense? I mean, you could obviously take the tact of 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 backing off yourself and giving them the space to you know where you just get out of the house. But I can kind of understand this type of situation where you might just go, whoa, oh hey, I just discovered somebody here, and you're just gonna. Keep your your space, your distance there. Call nine one one and wait for cops to arrive. Like I can get that. I can totally see that playing out. Um, but uh, the, the 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 bigger issue is, I think, in this situation is number one, going in there in the first place, and then number two, commanding the guy to do certain things at at threat of violence or death, and then actually forcing him to go outside. I would just have kept him in the in in that place. Right? Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. Transitionary so, spaces. Right. Yep. All right, so a woman shot during burglary in Catonsville. Police say suspect may be linked to other cases. This is in the Baltimore area. Uh, Baltimore County Police are investigating an incident in which a woman suffered a gunshot wound during a home burglary Wednesday and say the case may be linked to other burglaries in the area. According, So this is the story that's similar to the other one. According to police, the woman encountered the suspect. Uh, this is about 7.55 p.m., uh, burglary in process. She had returned home to find her front door open and some of her items broken or moved. She encountered the suspect, retrieved a handgun, and called police. Interesting. I mean, like, obviously we should call the police when we encounter, you know, burglaries and stuff. But uh, retrieved a handgun, called police, but you still might be, yeah, I don't know. Just interesting how this all played out. Uh, Police said that during the struggle between the woman and the intruder, the gun was fired a number of times. The homeowner... The woman was shot once, according to police, and was taken to a hospital in serious condition. She is expected to survive. Police said the suspect fled and took the homeowner's gun with him. Police then encountered a man on the sidewalk in front of the home who refused to follow commands and refused to show his hands. He ran and attempted to discard, but was apprehended. The gun was recovered, and uh, he's been placed under arrest. So it sounds like they caught the guy. Okay, so... This is interesting because she got, comes home, doors open, stuff's moved or broken inside. Apparently, she goes inside, and it says she retrieved a handgun. So, I mean, you kind of have to, like, this sounds like she got a gun from inside the home. This is another one of those clue things where it's like, okay, maybe I should remain outside the home, call 911. That's why I was asking, the, you know, kind of like, well, she went inside, retrieved the handgun, and then called 911? Like, it just seems all totally backwards to me. Yeah, there's some interesting stuff there. I mean, uh, you know, back onto our train about why didn't she have her gun with you, right? I mean, all of us, the, the gun is helpful when it's with you. If you I, I can't imagine like thinking that there might be someone in my house and deciding to go walk around through hallways and bedrooms to get to a place where I have a gun. That sounds horrible. I mean, how often do we talk about how, what an advantage the homeowner has when you're fo- forcing the intruder to come to you because of all the choke points and things like that? You're, you're literally putting the, the bad guy or gal, the BG, at the advantage when you wander through the home like that. Um, 
So it might be worth considering, you know, how a person might go about doing that. It might be worth considering where you stage firearms in case for whatever legitimate reason you did come home and you didn't have one. Um, but yeah, definitely the order of things here uh, seems a little bit a little bit goofy. Yeah. Anyway, that that's all I got to say about that. So let's now get to our final story here, and this one's this one's fantastic. It's fantastic because it's CCWers doing what I hope that they do when when they need to do it right. Titusville, Florida, armed bystander takes down gunmen at back to school event. As reported on WFTV.com, an ABC affiliate station, uh, it says an armed bystander shot a man who opened fire on a back-to-school event at a Titus, Titusville Park after a fist fight, police said. The shooting occurred at Isaac Campbell Park on South Street shortly after 5.20 p.m. when the shooter, whom police have not identified, returned to the park after a fist fight and began firing. And there's some pretty compelling uh, video uh, here along with this article uh, you can you can watch for yourself. Um, you know, folks shooting with their cell phone cameras and whatnot. And it, to continue on, it says uh, a bystander who was licensed to carry a firearm, concealed, I might add, shot the gunman. He was taken to a hospital with life-threatening injuries. Apparently, no bystanders, no attendees of this event, other than the initial gunman himself, were wounded from any of the gunfire. So that's kind of interesting, you know. This guy is in a fist fight, some sort of altercation. He goes away, comes back with a gun. He fires shots. I don't know if he's firing in the air, if he's firing at the ground, if he's or at an individual firing at somebody, and he just sucked at aiming. Whatever, I don't know. But uh, the fact is that an armed bystander was close enough and ready enough and quick enough to draw and shoot and stop this man. It's a back to school event. What in the heck is going on at a back to school event that fist fights are, are occurring. And the other thing, Jacob, I was thinking, I'm like, thank goodness this back to school event wasn't actually at the school. Yeah. Cause then this awesome bystander may not have been armed. Exactly. Yep. 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 Um, yeah, I, I mean, I don't, we don't have all the details, but the way I envision this, the way I see it in my brain is that, you know, our, our bad guy, our BG gets in an argument with somebody, whatever that argument is about is pretty serious. Maybe he just found out dude's cheating on his wife or something like with his wife. I don't know. So he, <laughs> sure. he like goes back probably to the car. I, I mean, maybe he went home, but maybe he goes back to the car, grabs a gun, comes back you know, and, and, and probably attacks that guy. Like I don't, in my mind, at my, my mind's vision, I don't see this as a, I'm just going to shoot some random people in the park. I see it as I just got in an argument with someone and now I'm going to shoot that, this, this very specific person I'm in an argument with, but it doesn't matter if you're the innocent bystander, you may not be aware that there, these guys were in an argument. And even if you did kind of catch on that, there's two people over there were arguing, you know, it, 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 that argument died. One guy walked away. You've probably moved on to your hot dog. And now all of a sudden, all you hear, you hear gunfire, right? You don't you don't have any idea what's going on like that. In hindsight, it's great to read these news stories and have some start to paint our own picture. But in the moment, in the first person perspective, RCCW probably just hears gunfire. That's all he's got. We don't know how much gunfire. All we know is he probably turned, identified the threat, the person holding the gun, shooting it, drew his own firearm, and returned fire. And luckily, this man was very efficient. And very effective. I don't know what level, we don't know what level of training he had, but we know he got the job done pretty darn effective and efficiently. Yeah. Yeah. It's just remarkable. And uh, this is exactly the situation that I love to point at to all of the critics out there of, of armed citizenry, of concealed carry, and go, look, 
I mean, this guy is able to respond in seconds as opposed to minutes from the police. And he was able to, like you said, he's able to get the job done effectively. He he did everything he needed to do and he did it as well as anybody could have. And, and so this, I mean, lives are saved potentially because of the actions of this one man and because he was able and willing to carry his gun with him concealed, uh, obviously most likely in this case there at this event. It's fantastic. Yeah. Like this is what we live and train for. Here's, here's a great quote in the article. It says, we are extremely grateful that nobody else was injured in this incident. Said deputy chief Todd Hutchinson quote, the suspect opened fire at a crowded public park. This could have been so much worse. End quote. Yeah. I think that that speaks volumes. You know, here's the funny thing. Um, as you know, I, I am currently in the middle, the midst of doing a, a bit of research on active shooter events. Uh, we'll be publishing something as a company here soon about active shooter events. And this incident will not show up on that. Correct. It will not because the FBI tracks active shooter incidents as a situation where at least four people are injured or killed um, from, from gunfire. And there's some other requirements. But this one won't show up because it was stopped before it could become an active shooter event. So this one will never hit the radar. It will never be in the report. It will never be in the research about active shooter events. And, and that's just true of a lot of these. There, there are how many active shooter events do not become active shooter events because the armed citizen does the job. That's even the case of that uh, situation in Oklahoma, right? Where you had the two CCWers. And for whatever reason, I think if I remember correctly, they both had to go to their vehicles to get guns and they both came back and one of them shot uh, the, the, the man that, you know, and that will never hit the report or, or any of the studies or anything like that because the active shooter shot and wounded two people. Mm-hmm. Right. And so, yeah, that, and that's, that's kind of the point I think what you're trying to get at is that these sorts of things happen not all the time, but more often than people probably realize because of a couple of things. Number one, these sorts of stories I think are way underreported for a couple of reasons. Number one, it doesn't make the news in a big way because not a lot of people got shot and or killed because it was stopped before it get to that point. Number two, it may not be reported widely because it doesn't really fit the narrative of some of those that, you know, may want, you know, through their reporting may want to try to have some sort of activism, you know, present in the, you know, as far as like, they're, they're for sure going to hit on the school shootings and mass shootings where people, well, a lot of people are shot or killed. And, oh, well, we ought to be looking at something, you know, as far as regulating guns in a more strict manner, increasing gun control so we can stop this sort of thing from happening. In this instance, we have a CCWer, lawful citizen, responding to an incident before it gets worse and stopping it. And it, and it doesn't, you know, and it results in nobody dying, at least good people, doesn't fit the narrative. And it also isn't a big enough deal that it, you know, is going to hit. I mean, so like, it's just this, um, it's just these types of things happen all, you know, not all the time, but they happen often enough, but we don't hear about them or don't know about them because of both the severity of the incident and the lack of it fitting the narrative. I guess that's what I'm trying to say. And 
So I appreciate the research that uh, our team has been doing on this very thing, which I think was inspired because of the, I think we covered that on the podcast, didn't we, Jacob, where we talked about the FBI report. Um, we, we did cover it. We didn't talk about what we're going to do about it as a company, right. but we did we did reference that report that came but out. Yeah. That became kind of the, the catalyst for us digging a little deeper and doing a lot of research into these types of incidents and so that we can, you know, hopefully show just how effective CCWers are in active shooter events. And it's the I'll tell you from the early results we've seen. Uh, from what I've seen, and you'll you'll compile the full you know thing and release it when it's ready. It's very promising, which is kind of exciting. Well, that concludes all of the stories for today. Um, comments on Facebook, kind of other than people checking in and saying hi, kind of uh, quieted down somewhat. Uh, but maybe we're rambling. People fell asleep. Right? Yeah, probably. Philip here says, why did they have to go get their weapon? Always carry, even my house. Bravo to you, Philip. That's definitely what we preach here on the podcast. Carry your guns, be responsible, have it on your person as often as possible, right? Today's episode is brought to you by, once again, we've got some great safety products available in the concealedcarry.com store. We encourage you to check out the links in the show notes of today's episode. Show notes found at concealedcarry.com forward slash episode 245. And you'll see there we got a great eye and ear protection combo pack. We've got the uh, body armor uh, insert panel that can be used like in a backpack or some, I think you can also probably, uh, it, it'll insert in a lot of uh, uh, plate carriers as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then also we've got the, uh, what am I missing, Jacob? Uh, the uh, NC, NC Star Trauma Kit. Very, very reasonably priced trauma kit with some good quality gear contained in it. Um, I think it's pretty hard to beat as far as value. Uh, I think I think we have it on priced at what about forty nine ninety nine? Is that what I recall? They're right around fifty bucks. They're yeah. very affordable. That is awesome. Like I'll tell you what, my little ankle IFAC I bought with supplies in it, and it cost more than forty nine ninety nine. And it doesn't come. That did not come with everything that comes in this NC Star uh, compact trauma kit. So. If you're just getting started, if you're just looking for a basic trauma kit, just so you can have it with you, throw it in the car, in the trunk, uh, or at home, or whatever, great place to start for a very, very reasonable price. Anyway, check out the combo eye and ear protection pack, the compact trauma kit, and the Citizen Armor Bulletproof Soft Armor Insert on our store, concealedcarry.com. All right, with that, time to wrap it up. We'll catch you later this week with another episode. Uh, be It'll be good stuff. Guarantee you that. Uh, so with that, Jacob, thanks for doing the show with me today. Yeah, always a pleasure. So a reminder to each of you out there to train right, train often, and train safe so you can fight hard, fight fast, and fight true. Take care. Reminder that laws vary from place to place, and we encourage listeners to seek local legal advice to understand applicable laws. The Concealed Carry Podcast, Concealed Carry Inc., ConcealedCarry.com, and their affiliates strive to share insights and stories about firearm-related incidents and laws, but things could be different where you live, or laws may have changed by the time you listen to this. We cannot be held liable for your actions based on the information shared in this podcast.